0: Because I've had people say to me, it just isn't on their radar screen as as something that's really affecting uh, the the economy or the global economy from a macro perspective. Are, are they wrong on that or are, are we wrong to be so concerned about it?
1: Uh, you know, it's it's interesting. I think we really are kind of at an inflection point right now where the decisions that are made in the next, you know, this year or the next one to two years really are going to have a pretty major effect long term on what happens with economic development. And so I think you're already seeing that, certainly, with how a lot of the major um, you know, petroleum companies are, are investing their money, investing mm-hmm. in clean tech, investing mm-hmm. in, in new technology. So, so it's already happening um, on a small scale today. It probably should be happening more. So I think it is worth paying attention to.
0: And presumably from an investment perspective, more and more people are looking at where they put their money, what types of companies they invest into, and their sustainability commitments.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's true. I think that's something that you just didn't see come up in investment discussions five years ago, but now it's, it's almost a matter of course that, that people are looking at what kind of policies a company has in place, how they're doing their sourcing, if they have recycling plans in place, what initiatives they have long term for, for being carbon neutral. Um, and so I think that's all of a good thing. I think the question is, how does all of this get implemented and is it lip service or does it actually matter and make a change?
0: Ben, thanks very much indeed. That's Ben Cavender, Managing Director at the China Market Research Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In Asian markets this morning, as we kick off a new month of trading, uh, the SX200 in Australia is up a third of a percent. The Nikkei 225 in Japan storming ahead now up two and a third percent. Uh, It's going to be a flat open, though, by the looks of it for the Hang Seng. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is slipping down about a quarter of a percent this morning at eighty three dollars, fifty two cents a barrel. Gold is also down a little bit at one thousand seven hundred eighty two dollars an ounce. Thank you very much for listening. Please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for Money Talk. Stay tuned for Back Chats with Jim Gould and Mike Rouse. The weather forecast for today, sunny periods, maximum temperature around 27 degrees. And then the outlook, windier with sunny periods tomorrow. One or two showers in the middle and latter parts of this week. Temperature right now is 24 degrees, 78% relative humidity.
2: It's 8.32. Here's Todd Harding with the half-hour news. Five people died in four separate traffic accidents across Hong Kong yesterday with a major incident at about 10pm on Bridespool Road in Taipo, accounting for two of the deaths. It involved three private cars and a motorcyclist. Robert Kemp reports the two deceased were private car drivers one was declared dead at the scene and the other at nethersole hospital two private car passengers and the motorcyclist were slightly injured another person was seriously injured and sent to north district hospital in an unconscious state before being transferred to prince of wales hospital yesterday saw three other fatalities on hong kong's roads and highways a 60-year-old man who was knocked off his cycle on the North Lantau Highway by a coach, a 51-year-old woman who was run over by a private car on Sheko Road in Wan, and a 57-year-old man who fell off his cycle in Tai Po. A report released to coincide with the start of the climate change talks in Glasgow estimates that the years from 2015 to 2021 are on course to have been the seven hottest on record. The World Meteorological Organization says the planet is now entering uncharted territory. The WMO Secretary General, Professor Petteri Thalas, said net zero emissions would help slow the trend towards extreme weather events.
3: Net zero by 2050 is is the best that we could dream of. And it has been clearly shown that that would be the best for the welfare of mankind and also the biosphere. And we could stop this negative trend in these weather patterns uh, if we are successful to reach uh, carbon neutrality by 2050. That's a very ambitious goal, but uh, there are good scientific reasons to work for that.
2: And a man dressed like the Joker from Batman has stabbed a number of people on a subway train in Tokyo. At least 15 people were injured, one of them critically. The BBC's Rupert Winfield-Hayes reports. Mobile phone footage shows fire raging inside a carriage
4: on the Keio line subway car. Panicked passengers are screaming and stumbling through a connecting door into the next carriage. The train then stops in a station, but the doors remain closed as the train begins to fill with smoke. Finally, the trapped passengers start forcing the windows and climbing onto the platform. Police say at least one elderly man is in a serious condition. They have also arrested a man in his 20s at the scene. Eyewitness reports say the suspect had a large knife and sprayed clear liquid around the carriage before setting light to it.
2: You're listening to the news on RTHK.
4: Good morning and welcome to Backchat. Uh, I'm Jim Gould and your co host today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Jim. On today's programme, for our main subject, we're talking about efforts to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Leaders of the group of 20 major economies uh, agreed on a final statement, urging meaningful and effective action to limit global warming, but offered few new commitments. Uh, Global attention now shifts to the United Nations COP26 climate summit, which is taking place this week in Scotland. Here, the government announced its Climate Action Plan 2050 following last month's policy address, adding more details to the drive to achieve carbon neutrality by the middle of the century. Fresh targets have been introduced, including an end to the use of coal for electricity generation within 14 years. Meanwhile, a new gas-fired generation unit of CLP power in Thunmun is now in operation. It's said to be able to reduce carbon emissions by one million metric tonnes a year. Is it possible for Hong Kong to become carbon neutral by 2050? What needs to be done and how should we do it? After 9.15, we're discussing Facebook's ambitions for its metaverse world of virtual reality. Let us know your thoughts. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233 266. Joining us uh, for our main discussion, we have uh, on the line uh, Millie Ong, who's Deputy Secretary for the Environment, also uh, Paul Harris, Chair Professor of Global and Environmental Studies at the Education University, and Edwin Lau, Founder founder and Executive Director of the Green Earth. Um, Millie Ong, perhaps if we could start with you. Uh, Good morning. So there were um, a number of uh, commitments uh, outlined uh, in the policy address, and those were followed up uh, by the Environment Secretary uh, with the Climate Action Plan 2050. Right. Uh, four particular areas um, he outlined. Um, what do you think is going to be the, the main challenge to achieving those targets?
5: Right. Um, As you rightly pointed out, um, uh, following the chief executive's announcement in the policy address this year that uh, Hong Kong would uh, uh, introduce more um, uh, proactive measures to combat uh, climate change, um, the Environment Bureau uh, promulgated a new Hong Kong's uh, uh, — updated Hong Kong's Climate Action Plan 2050, uh, setting out uh, four key strategies to combat climate change. And uh, these four key key strategies cover, uh, first of all, net zero electricity generation by 2050. Um, Second, energy saving and green buildings. Third, green transport. And fourth, waste reduction. And these uh, basically target um, the three major emission sources, carbon emission sources in Hong Kong. So challenges, um, definitely, for instance, for um, the uh, net zero electricity generation, um, Hong Kong space, spatial constraints um, will, will give us uh, challenges for developing renewable energy. But we're very determined to to overcome and also by, by technologies, um, by, you know, uh, all our efforts to, to develop RE in Hong Kong as well as regional cooperation um, to uh, hopefully increase the... Um, portion of renewable energy in the fuel mix from less than 1% now to 7.5% to 10% by 2035 and hopefully eventually reaching uh, 15%. Mm. Um,
4: Yeah, uh, uh, power generation... Uh, accounts for about two-thirds of, right. uh, of carbon emissions, uh, right? And the, so the commitment is to phase out the use of coal for electricity generation yes, within 14 by years. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, how easy is that or difficult is that going to be to achieve? Um,
5: actually, um, we have worked very closely with the power companies and we have managed to reduce the um, consumption of coal in the fuel mix from about half in 2015 to now less than a quarter, so we are definitely We have made good progress, and we are working towards um, uh, this target uh, to cease uh, using coal for daily electricity generation by 2035.
6: Millie, uh, good morning. That's a, a good start uh, reducing good the coal. Um, and I'm and, uh, sure so we all welcome welcome that but as you pointed out correctly we we do suffer from a lot of space constraints, don't right. we? Um, we have a bit of wind in a few areas, but we couldn't lay out acres and acres of, of panels for for yes. solar. Um, can we have import more nuclear power from from the mainland?
5: Yes Mike um, I think um, uh, right now uh, we are looking to uh, uh, first of all, maybe let me uh, go back a little bit. In our new Climate Action Plan, we made a pledge to reduce uh, total carbon emissions by half uh, by 2035. Right. Uh, based on the uh, – comparing to 2005 as the base year. And that's an aggressive target. And to reach this target, we need to use uh, zero carbon energy uh, in our fuel mix. Uh, with about sixty to seventy percent by two thousand and thirty five so we 're actually looking into all kinds of zero carbon energy for now, other than you know natural, natural gas is low carbon but not zero carbon right mm-hmm. so um, r e as i mentioned wind um, which covers like waste energy, wind farm, and also solar uh, energy but we we do have limitations right in developing r e in Hong Kong as comparing to Um, uh, other, you know, countries or or areas. That's why we need um, regional cooperation. Right now, nuclear um, energy uh, takes up about a quarter of our fuel mix now. And um, as a means to to reach uh, uh, on the transition to carbon neutrality, I think we we will not rule out uh, any zero-carbon energy, including nuclear, but um, the priority is definitely renewable energy, and we're also looking into other new energy like hydrogen. You know, mm-hmm. the power companies uh, will be testing, you know, ha- having a trial for using adding hydrogen to their fuel mix uh, very soon, and also um, we will uh, also try out um, hydrogen vehicles uh, for heavy weight vehicles and. Uh, Franchise buses
4: as well. Okay, um, Paul Harris, uh, good morning to you. Good morning. Paul Harris from Education University. What's your assessment of the current uh, targets and timelines?
7: Uh, It's derisory Mm -hmm. uh, at at best. Uh, If one looks at the government's Climate Action Plan 2050, you can see that a large proportion of the plan is devoted to uh, government officials patting themselves on the back. For example, um, with, with respect to renewable energy, the, the, the government describes itself as a leader on renewable energy. So I think that's a rather fatuous argument from the perspective of the public. Um, even the, the, you know, this is a 2050 objective toward carbon neutrality. It, it is really not a carbon neutrality plan at all. Um, of course, it depends on how we define carbon neutrality. So there, there is no plan to stop um, using energy or reduce using in energy in Hong Kong to the point that would lead to carbon neutrality. Instead, what we'll do is we'll import uh, the the carbon that other people are are using. You know, even the midterm target of fifty percent by twenty thirty five, which was just described a moment ago as being very ambitious. Um, I would argue is far from it. Uh, The scientists tell us that um, we need to reduce uh, carbon emissions by about half by uh, um, the end of this decade. Uh, So that's a 2035 objective. It uses 2005 as the baseline instead of 1990 that most countries with credible plans are using. So anybody with a little bit of math can figure out that the government is making it easier on itself. You know, there's a really big gap in the statistics. They, they don't account for consumption. You know, we the, Hong Kong is a community that, that imports almost everything that we consume, almost all of the energy that we consume and almost everything else that we consume. And all of the statistics that the government is working toward are based on the, the community and don't account for all of the carbon emissions that come from Everything else, apart from the energy that we burn here in Hong Kong, yeah. uh, so the so the statistics are entirely uh, fatuous in in my mm, view. Mm, and if you yeah. and if you and if you look at what the government mm. is doing, look at what it's doing right now. You know, Carrie Lam proudly, uh, you know, was at the the, the the ribbon cutting for a new uh, uh, a natural gas plant for CLP that you mentioned, but that is locking in fossil fuels. You know, CLP proudly says that that new plant will will operate for 35 or more years. Well, you do the math, that's beyond 2050. And they plan on building another one in a few years, which I assume also will have a 35-year lifespan. So we're going to be beyond 2060. So what we're doing is we're still building the infrastructure to burn fossil fuels here in Hong Kong.
6: What alternatives do we have, though, uh,
4: Paul? Well,
7: I mean- we... we we have to reduce our consumption. This is the only way. The government now, everybody in Hong Kong can look out the window and see the construction of new concrete towers that are uninsulated. These will, these will be energy hogs for decades and decades to come, well beyond 2050, most of them. So the government is not requiring these, these buildings to be carbon neutral. I mean, even its twenty fifty targets are amazingly modest for residential buildings. They they want um, a twenty to thirty percent reduction by I think they have twenty twenty thirty five. So already in in developed societies like Hong Kong, uh, new buildings have to be carbon neutral. Why aren't we requiring that already? Okay. So instead, what we're doing is we're locking ourselves into a. Uh, uh, more and more use of energy and of course a lot of that is going to have to come from fossil fuels.
4: Okay, we'll bring in Ed- Edwin Lau in a moment but um, Millie Ong, would you uh, care to respond to that?
5: Sure, actually um, I don't quite agree with uh, some of the comments made by uh, uh, Paul um, I think that what the plan set out is very comprehensive and the targets are already very ambitious you know reaching carbon neutrality there has to be a process a transition a low carbon transition process that you know all economies all countries have to go through and it's not possible to phase out natural gas i mean uh, 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 at the moment you look at the energy crisis around the world um, we we have to maintain a balance for instance for the for the fuel mix in hong kong we always have to look at a few factors like affordability right Availability, reliability, uh, 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 safety, environmental performance, right? Right. Um, If we phase out all fossil fuels uh, very shortly, I don't think we will have enough uh, energy supply, reliable energy supply, at affordable prices for members of the public in Hong Kong. So there has to be a transition. Natural gas is a transition uh, uh, for reaching uh, carbon neutrality. But we set the plan very clearly that we are determined to increase... The proportion of zero and zero carbon energy, and and to face off fossil fuels what, step by step.
6: What yes. about the point of build tougher building codes to make sure yes. the future buildings?
5: Yes, definitely. Um, uh, as buildings account for ninety percent of Hong Kong's total electricity consumption, actually we are um, doing a lot in in uh, in reducing electricity mm. consumption for buildings. And for instance, we have a, a, a carbon neutrality partnership with. All the major, you know, um, uh, uh, commercial partners, developers, hotels, banks in Hong Kong—that they, that, that the buildings—they have agreed. Um, on aggressive targets to, to join the government's efforts in reducing electricity consumption. And targets are set up clearly in, in the plan. Um, by 2035, we hope to reduce uh, electricity consumption of 15%, 20% for commercial buildings and, and, and reaching 15% for residential uh, buildings. And we'll do it by various means, including mandatory um, requirements, um, including, you know, um, the meals, uh, for, for more energy efficient appliances for households, um, more um, aggressive or mandatory energy audits, etc, so we are we, we, we definitely uh, going that way and, and also for, for the matter of import energy import mentioned by Paul, I think, like other small cities or, or cities, major cities around the world, uh, import of uh, uh, zero carbon energy is uh, uh, no, it's, it's, it's unavoidable because of the space constraints and all the limitations in developing renewable energy. But in the plan, we set out that our, our priority is to do our best in maximizing the capacity, the potential of RE in Hong Kong.
4: Um, Edward Lau, good morning.
5: Good morning, Jim so, and Mike and everyone. Yes,
4: yes, yes, yes. So, well, well, where do you stand on the tar- tar- on the targets? And yeah,
8: I, I will agree with Paul that that now um, for reducing uh, the the carbon emission to uh, to become zero, then we have to look at both the demand side and the supply side. We cannot just focus on one hand and then neglect on the other. Now, what I I, I see the um, uh, action plan by the government that's saying that commercial building by 2045 uh, to reduce the uh, uh, consumption uh, energy consumption by 15 to 20 percent, which is I I, I see it's rather uh, low. It's, it's not aggressive at all uh, with today's technologies and engineers, all the building engineers, and they would easily. Within a year or two, to reduce the energy uh, consumption by these uh, similar figures uh, in one or two years, and by uh, the better efficiency uh, chiller, and by uh, real-time monitoring of the energy consumption, and also by I mean public education for these uh, tenants that how they can reduce the energy usage one very good example in hong kong is i, I went to many commercial offices in restaurants. when i go in there it is always in summer. i mean always feel freezing like going into a fridge you know this is the very simple and direct way you just do not uh, 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 make the indoor environment such cold
4: turn the aircon down a bit
8: yeah,
6: valid points in what you say there we've got to look at both demand and supply and when it it comes to comfort, maybe uh, absolute temperature level and level of humidity maybe if we could look at them uh, individually that's also, I I have experienced Japan's 28 degrees in (laughs) summer and I can assure you it's extremely uncomfortable Mm. but in fairness to the government here shouldn't we also accept that in a small city like this which is very compact There severe limits on on what we can do in generation ourselves.
8: Uh, Yes, there there is certain limitation, but we do not try to kind of uh, blow up the uh, limitation to be very uh, unworkable. Now look at I have talked, I have said to the government uh, a few times that our reservoir we have seventeen reservoirs in Hong Kong. I mean, government could let it out. Uh, by tender uh, inviting uh, investors to, I mean, bid for the rest to build a floating solar PV panel to generate zero carbon electricity for a city. It is something that governments do not just think that they have to pay all this to do all this by themselves. No, let it out, let the public sector do it. They are more uh, efficient. They are more, I mean, quicker to, to, to finish the, the system and, and connect uh, the uh, the system to the grid and produce uh, uh, green energy. And then these sort of things that uh, government think that they need to uh, out a lot of money, but you can use the uh, green bond uh, uh, system to attract uh, investment both locally and also from overseas to help this really uh, green uh, infrastructure to the project to help Hong Kong to speed up our pace to reach this, uh, uh, either in, in increasing our uh, ratio in renewable energy or to uh, improve the energy efficiency of, uh, no matter it's for building or for the vehicles. And for the vehicles, <coughs> along in Hong Kong, government is proposing the EV, which is the right direction. But don't forget the EV, charging the EV. We still need the, the power from the two-power company, which is still mainly is uh, a carbon intensive uh, fossil fuel. So we need to do this. I mean, uh, together, that you push for EV, you also need the charging to be a clean uh, source of energy to achieve the carbon uh, neutral. Uh, Otherwise, mm -hmm. you're doing the thing in, in, in half, not in full.
4: Okay. Okay, uh, um, Millyung. So, um, actually, transport accounts for the second largest uh, source right. uh, of uh, of carbon emissions, doesn't it? About, uh, right. About eighteen percent, I think. So, so yeah. So, how are you going to move forward with uh, you know introducing um, um, you know more environmentally friendly transport? And what about um, what about Edwin Lau's comment there that uh, the 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 source of the electricity um, has to be more uh, environmentally friendly. I mean, I know we talked about phasing out coal, but, um, right. yeah.
5: Right. I think um, uh, we have set out our, our strategy for decarbonizing the transport uh, uh, sector very clearly, both in our climate action plan 2015 and also in the EV roadmap that we uh, uh, issued uh, earlier this year. I think for private cars, we set a very clear target, right, to seize the uh, registration of fuel propelled and hybrid private cars by 2035 um, and uh, as, as regards the charging uh, uh, network of course um, if we can the charging uh, if we can electrify the transport sector then we can then it would be easier for us to you know um, to, to target the you know the changing fuel mix uh, of the electricity generation to achieve carbon neutrality, but at the same time, uh, definitely I we echo, <sighs> the echo uh, Edwin's view that we have to introduce new energy uh, vehicles. That's why in this plan we announced that in the next three years we are trying hydrogen uh, fuel cell uh, heavy bus- uh, buses and and, and heavy uh, vehicles. And as regards the point raised by Edwin on. On maximizing potential of RE. Actually, we, we do have concrete plans set out in the Climate Action Plan to uh, increase the um, – to, to, to develop uh, solar panel, uh, PV panel uh, systems, large scale uh, on – over reservoirs, over all our public housing in Hong Kong, uh, over restored landfills. Um, and also, we, we also set out that we collaborate – we will collaborate with the private sector to increase um, uh, RE, facilitated installations in their land and properties. And also we will start education on the part mentioned uh, previously about energy savings. Uh, we, we do agree that education publicity is very important, uh, that uh, the, 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 the entire community has to co- cooperate. They have to be aware of the, of the threat of climate change and also adjust their lifestyle to a low carbon lifestyle in reducing waste conserving energy um uh etcetera. Yeah.
7: I think the recognition- if I may if I yeah. may this is uh, oh, this is greenwashing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think I hope that your that your listeners will go ahead and take a look at the government's plan and parse it in detail uh, and and I don't doubt that government officials are working really hard to put these plans together but they are not going to lead to carbon neutrality. You know, the Hong Kong people are really at the mercy of the government. Uh, As every year passes, we are increasingly at the mercy of the government. And that comes, that includes energy use. And again, I get back to buildings. You know, just look around you. You can see the buildings going up that will lock in energy use. You know, Mike, you get hot in your flat because it's a concrete box that heats up in the summertime and stays hot well into the autumn. Because of the way it's designed, there's no reason for that. Yet buildings like this are still being built.
4: OK, so gonna have to, I'm going perfect- to gonna have to stop you there, Paul Harris. Sorry, because uh, hold that thought. We've got to take a break for the news at 9 o'clock. Uh, we'll be back at three minutes past. Um, uh, just before we do that, uh, a quick uh, look uh, at the weather. Uh, sunny periods, uh, top temperature today around 27 degrees, moderate to fresh easterly winds. The outlook at windier with sunny periods tomorrow, one or two showers in the middle and latter parts of this week. Currently 25 degrees, humidity 76%. <laughs>
2: on RTHK.
4: Welcome back to Backchat with Mike Rouse and me, Jim Gould. And uh, this morning, uh, in our main topic, we're talking about efforts to uh, reduce uh, greenhouse gas emissions and uh, try to limit climate change. Um, do get in touch. You can uh, leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on two double three double 266 uh, A couple of... Uh, A couple of messages uh, here. Um, This one from Paul says... uh If the sky is genuinely falling in, then let's do our bit and ban these stupid face masks. Single-use masks are a far bigger problem than straws ever were. Plus, the cost to the environment of re-washing fabric masks should make them public enemy number one. But, of course, this won't do because uh, we've gone from a crisis of a pandemic where the solution was to limit people's freedoms and destroy the economy to a crisis of climate change where the solution is also to limit people's freedoms and further cripple the economy. All roads lead to Rome don't they um, and uh, John uh, posting a message and, a, and, a, and a, a graphic on our Facebook page uh, says uh, in the 2017 climate plan uh, the 2017 climate plan promised a 20% reduction by 2020 but in the 2050 plan it became a prediction for 2020. Let's wait for the actual data um, we have with us uh um, well, uh, just just say, actually, thanks very much to Millie Ong, Deputy Secretary for the Environment, who is with us before nine o'clock, and also Edwin Lau, founder and executive director of the Green Earth. And still with us, we have uh, Paul Harris, uh, Chair Professor of Global and Environmental Studies at the Education University. And we're also joined by Kitty Tam, Assistant Manager for Conservation Policy at WWF. Um, Mike, you, yeah. had a, you, you had a question. Paul, for Paul. Paul good morning again. Uh, you were all, all fired up before the news.
6: Um, one thing that did come through for the first half: um, if we're still burning fossil fuels, albeit or, or much better than coal because we're using natural gas, after twenty fifty, how is that carbon neutral?
7: Well, there, there will there won't be carbon neutrality. Um, what what the government is trying to focus on with energy is trying ultimately in the in the very long term to get to get the energy that is used in Hong Kong to be low carbon and uh, and they, they their plan is is about carbon neutrality but they really don't say that in the plan they say actually low carbon uh, by 2050 so right. the the plan is to continue uh, obtaining electricity in Hong Kong from fossil fuels beyond mid-century that is the plan and of course that's not what uh what countries at cop 26 and 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 the 12 of the 20 g20 countries have pledged to do Um, so we're going in the wrong direction now now uh, nuclear is apparently their long-term strategy Um, you know whatever one thinks of nuclear it has the advantage of being very low carbon Um, But but what they don't account for is the fact that, you know, the rest of Guangdong, the rest of the Pearl River Delta region is going to be competing for the same nuclear energy to achieve their own targets. And uh, I I, I guess Hong Kong could offer to pay more than those other communities, but then those other communities will then be using more fossil fuels to, to, uh, you know, to supply energy. So there really is no way to reach carbon neutrality unless everyone is going in, in the right direction. And the problem is Hong Kong is the consumption side. So what the government is doing, it's, it's encouraging more use of energy. I've, I've mentioned buildings a couple times. We're building a third runway to encourage more air travel. Uh, currently the government is subsidizing electricity. So everybody look at your electric bill, you'll see that the government is subsidizing it. So it's encouraging people to use more energy. Um, we all received $5,000 to go out and spend money on stuff. Right? And all that stuff requires mostly the use of fossil fuels to produce it, to transport it, to refrigerate it if it's food or cook it, et cetera. So we're, we're, everything that we're doing in Hong Kong is going in the wrong direction. And as I suggested, a lot of it depends on the government. You know, Millie Ung just told us you know, the Hong Kong people have to share all the responsibility and, and do the hard work. But if you live in a concrete box, with, um, you know, single-pane windows and the sun comes in and it heats up to 55 degrees in the summer, you have no choice but to, to turn on the air conditioning if you are to survive and, and live in some, you know, moderate comfort. So, and that comes down to the government. Now, okay, we can excuse the government for past practices. I happen to think, you know, by 1990, the government should have known better. That's when the, 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 the UN scientists were telling us we had this problem. But we're still doing it. Decades, many decades later, we're still committing the offense of building infrastructure that locks us into energy use. It's unacceptable. You know, the government is really in the dark ages. They, there's a lot of motion. It, you know, it's like a gerbil on a wheel in a cage. It's, there's lots of movement. Uh, there's lots of motion, but there's no movement in the direction of actually um, cutting emissions. You know, if I can uh, quote uh, Greta Thunberg, if you'll allow me, sure, go ahead. maybe it's an exaggeration, but it's blah, blah, blah from the government. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of blah, 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 but not much concrete action right now today. This evening, look out your window at all the, the uninhabited areas that will be lit up. Again, look around you at all the construction. Um, the government isn't doing anything to try to, to, to get us to stop flying, to get us to stop consuming meat. If you stop flying and stop consuming meat, then your greenhouse gas emissions will drop immediately to the level that the environment, that the earth can sustain. But are we being encouraged to do that? No.
4: OK, uh, well, let's uh, bring in uh, Kitty, Kitty Tam, uh, assistant manager for conservation policy at WWF. Uh, good morning to you. Morning. Thanks for joining us. Um, we've talked a lot about uh, Hong Kong's uh, targets uh, for reducing emissions, um, but of course uh, uh, in, in, uh, the issue and global warming is, a, is, a, is a, in, in an international one. Um, we have the UN meeting taking place uh, in Glasgow this week, the COP26 gathering. What are your hopes for that?
9: Um, For the Glasgow meeting, actually, I have four different expectations. So first, the COP26 must provide confidence and clarity on a global pathway to achieve the transition to a net zero emission and climate resilient future to prevent a climate catastrophe. We will know we are on a transformative pathway if the world is on track to reduce global greenhouse gas emissions by 50% by 2030 and be net zero emission by 2050. And second, the COP26 must address urgent issues such as scaling up mitigation efforts, delivering on climate finance, and see increased efforts around adaptation and loss and damage. And third, there's no viable route to limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees without protecting and restoring nature. I believe the COP26 process should well coordinate with the COP15 process, under the Convention on Biological Diversity. And there should be more funding going to the nature-based solutions. And the countries, such as Hong Kong, should also include nature-based solution in their national climate plan. And last but not least, any COVID-19 economic recovery package, which uh, Paul just mentioned, the 5,000 uh, subsidies, this should also capitalize on the opportunity to transform key sectors Reinforce new behaviors and put the world on pathways towards
4: a 1.5 mm-hmm. degree aligned future. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, I'm sure, sure, sure it was a slip of the tongue, but of course, uh, Hong Kong, of course, is not a country. But, uh, yeah. uh, but uh, um, clearly, um, some regional cooperation is needed, isn't it? Uh, Hong Kong's committed to uh, carbon neutrality by 2050. Uh, the, the mainland China, uh, the, the, the year is 2060. Um, is, is that going to cause uh, any problems, do you think, in terms of? Uh, achieving targets?
9: Um, uh, Actually, I think that Hong Kong um, uh, has more capital and I think, of course, the government can can reach carbon neutrality by 2050 or even earlier if they take immediate action now. And so far, they have provided two days to achieve Mm -hmm. the carbon neutrality, uh, which is 2035 and 2050. So by 2035, they plan to reduce carbon emissions by half. I think the direction is great, Mm -hmm. but it is 14 years away. I think stronger uh, commitments and urgent action is needed. As the UNFCC-NDC synthesis report showed, we cannot afford to wait until 2035. We need to see credible implementation plans backed by transparent finance.
6: Kitty and Paul, uh, well, one idea that uh, economists float all the time, and in fact I saw a story in the Financial Times the last couple of days that said it's inevitable if we really want to get to grips We have to tax carbon. What do we think of that, Kitty?
9: Yes, I think it's inevitable. There must be some sort of um, finance mechanism to do that, to stop the overconsumption behaviour of the world population. Mm -hmm. And this this has to be done globally, not just in a
7: region.
6: Right. Paul?
7: Well, as I've already said, Hong Kong is doing exactly the opposite. So exactly the opposite of what the economists advise, that's Hong Kong government policy. We're subsidizing energy use. So, yes, of course, uh, that's an important route. Um, It is vital to make the cost of fossil fuel supplied energy as costly as possible. It must be as expensive as possible. I said directly to um, uh, the the environment secretary, uh, probably was, I don't know, maybe almost a decade ago now, just this, but but it never seems to happen. Now, of course, what you do, you need, to, you need to make energy that's from fossil fuels far more expensive, but in the, at the same time, of course, you do that through taxes. But then you need to take the tax income and divert that to the low-income people who then have trouble getting enough energy, you know, to get by. So the money must not go into government coffers. It must be ex- immediately returned to the people, my preference is that the money would be returned to the least well off in society, not rich people who can then just just pay the, pay the right. tax and burn as much energy so, as they want. So, so that I the, agree with you. At the,
6: at the, at the sort of light, at the way we live, we must inject a cost of, of carbon fuels so that society itself, that whether it's business or anyone, will have an incentive to reduce. That carbon cost as much as possible, but as you're right, if it if it just disappears into into government uh, expenditure, uh, we'll never see it again. It's got to come out and go to those hardest hit.
7: But see, the problem we have in Hong Kong is is the you know this collusion. I I would still characterize it as collusion between the government and the developers. So the people who pay the cost of electricity are not the developers who design and build the buildings in which we live. It's, it's people that live within them, right? So, pe- pe- again, people are trapped by government po- policy and its friendship with, with um, the developers. You know, a big part of the government's 2050 plan is to set up all sorts of different, you know, committees and advisory bodies and public engagement. But we know how that works. We've seen it many times in the past by engaging the quote-unquote public, they also compromise, they bring in the developers, they bring people who have a vested interest in making money from the status quo into the policy-making process, and that always dilutes what comes out at the other end. And the description we just got from Millie Ung of how the process works, you know, proves my point. And and until the government is willing to crack down on the developers and force them to build the infrastructure that makes it easy for us to live a low-carbon, no-carbon lifestyle, we are victims of, of, of the government.
4: Okay. Uh, I've got a, a question for, uh, for Paul Harris. Um, we're talking about um, carbon neutrality um, and the need to cut down on emissions, but uh, um, what's, what stage are we at globally in terms of uh, carbon capture, actually the technology to take carbon dioxide uh, out of the atmosphere and store it somewhere?
7: Uh, carbon capture is, if, if you look at the intergovernmental panel on climate change's reports and their expectations of what is technically possible in the future, They do incorporate, as yet undeveloped, and of course um, not yet deployed, means of capturing carbon from the atmosphere, extracting it from the atmosphere, and storing it somehow. Now, one of those routes is to store it underground. So instead of taking the fossil fuels out out of the ground, you would be injecting carbon into the ground. Um,
4: Inge- injecting, the, the pro- it is, injecting it as a gas, or, or can you turn it into some solid form first, or, or how, how, would, how would it... Well, there, there
7: are different technical means that are already available and that are being developed. But the problem, there's two problems here. So, so my short answer is, this is no solution. I would recommend that you stop <laughs> thinking about this as a solution. One of the big problems of these approaches is they allow us to think that there will be a solution in the future that allows us to continue doing things the way we're doing this is not one of those carbon capture and storage is definitely not one it'll take too long to develop so what we need globally is to reduce carbon emissions by about half by 2030 and we have to eliminate them net by the mid-century if we have any hope of of keeping temperatures below the Paris uh, targets uh, i happen to think it's impossible politically but that's that's probably technically possible. But, but think about the infrastructure that would be required. So think about all, all of the, 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 the physical plant that would be required to extract uh, from uh, carbon from the atmosphere. Of course, we would have to use nuclear or some other form of energy, because you, because you don't want to burn energy. <laughs> you don't want to produce more carbon to take carbon out of the atmosphere. And then you have to transport all of that carbon to parts of the Earth, where it can be stored. So it can't be stored you know, below everyone's home. There are only some places where it can be stored. Some of it probably can be stored in current coal and uh, oil and gas fields, um, although there's no guarantee that it will stay there. Right. So these kind of solutions, other things that people like, planting trees, these really aren't solutions. If you plant lots of a trillion trees, that might be a good thing, but what if those trillion trees burn down in 10 years, 20 years, 40 years? You know, we see forest fires, wildfires all around the world. So that's no solution. The only solution is to
4: cut our emissions. Uh, okay. Uh, we'll have to uh, bring this uh, discussion to a close in just a moment. But uh, uh, before we do that, uh, um, um, uh, Kitty Tam, uh, hi, are you still with us? Yes. Yeah. So would you go along with that? The, the, the only solution is to cut emissions.
9: Oh, yeah, I agree. But then uh, actually, we also have some nature based solutions that WWF keeps uh, talking about. Um, planting so trees w- and things? Pardon?
4: Uh, you mean like, like planting more trees or, or, or what? Uh,
9: actually, we don't need to plant trees. Uh, but yeah, we can plant trees, but then I want to stress the importance of uh, the wetlands. Actually, we have a lot of wetlands in Hong Kong, uh, for example, in the Maipo, Inner Deep Bay Ramse site, in the mm. wetland conservation area and wetland buffer area. And actually, the government should really retain all these wetland ecological function and surface as uh, part of climate adaptation strategy. These wetlands actually can store uh, carbon already and then we shouldn't destroy them. Uh, we should protect, conserve them.
4: Okay. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much uh, for joining us uh, on the program this morning, uh, Kitty Tam, there, who you just heard, who's uh, assistant manager for conservation policy with WWF Hong Kong, and also Paul Harris, uh, chair, professor of global and environmental studies at the Education University of uh, Hong Kong. And uh, before nine o'clock, we heard from Millie Ong, uh, deputy secretary for the environment, and also Edwin Lau, founder and chief executive of the Green Earth, and. For the last uh, ten minutes or so of the program this morning uh, we 're going to switch uh, our attention to our second topic, and that is uh, plans by uh, Facebook um, Facebook, as you know, has just uh, changed its uh, corporate name of its uh, parent company to meta from facebook and uh, and it has uh, big plans to create uh, what it calls uh, a metaverse. Um, Facebook says it's going to hire 10,000 people in the European Union to build the uh, metaverse over the uh, coming uh, months or and years and so on. And we're now joined uh, on the line by Dr. Florin Constantine Serban, who's a lecturer at the Department of Communication Studies at uh, Hong Kong Baptist University. Good morning to you. Hi, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for joining us. Uh, So, um, yeah, this is a pretty interesting concept, this uh, metaverse. Um, What do you make of it?
3: Yes, indeed. Um, First of all, I think in order to understand the recent announcement, I think it's good to look a bit uh, what happened to Facebook in recent years and uh, overall in recent years, Uh, because uh, they've been into uh, some troubled waters, right? A few weeks ago, uh, we had um, uh, a whistleblower, Francis uh, Hogan, who disclosed to the U.S. Uh, Securities and Exchange Commission a trove of documents detailing how uh, executives at Facebook scramble to find a good balance between um, public safety and their own corporate interests. So, uh, for example, um, uh, some of the documents uh, uh, point out that uh, Mark Zuckerberg's public statements with, are often at odds with the company's internal findings. Uh, for example uh, Zuckerberg mentioned that 94 uh, percent of their hate speech is fined uh, before a human reported but uh, some internal documents point out that uh, only about five percent of hate speech um, is uh, is removed by uh, by by facebook so uh, there are a lot of uh, these kind of allegations and probably even more important for them as a company uh, they are losing supposed to be decentralized. It is supposed to be open source blockchain. Think of cryptocurrencies, think of the NFTs, the non-fungible tokens. Uh, it will be highlighted by, by a very smart contract uh, functionality. Now, as a company, Facebook wants to be one of the first big players going into this new uh, Web 3.0 into this new uh, technological opportunity. Uh, however, one of the key questions I have as a researcher and uh, ultimately as a user, will Facebook as a company and will Facebook as a platform be able to improve, will it be able to provide a better experience? Will the problems that we uh, notice nowadays on Facebook from, face, from uh, uh, fake news, from hate speech, uh, to misinformation, will these problems go away just because we will have uh, uh, more immersive technologies? And unfortunately, if Facebook as a company was not able to tackle these core social problems uh, on its platform in Web 2.0, in the actual, in the current stage um, of Facebook, I don't really think they will be able to do that in a more uh, 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 augmented reality environment. Right.
6: Dr. Um, something puzzles me here. We've just spent 45 minutes discussing real problems in the real world. Why, why is there priority being given to an artificial world, um, that may, is, which is in the process of being created?
3: Well, I think you, you have a very good point. At the same time, I think a similar question was asked uh, 15 years ago, right, when people started to create Facebook accounts. Nowadays, we see that uh, Facebook as a platform becomes part of our uh, social fabric, right? Becomes part of our everyday life. And what happens there will have immediate consequences in uh, our everyday reality, uh, right? A lot of uh, uh, problems I mentioned earlier, disinformation, misinformation, hate speech, they can uh, 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 brew on these kind of social platforms and then They were overspilled in in everyday life. And I think what happened in Myanmar uh, could be a prime example of that. So uh, they do matter because if in the future and there's no there's basically uh, no indication that we will stop to rely on these kind of platforms in the future, we will be probably even more reliant on them. And I think it's crucial to decide what kind of platforms do we want. Do we want them to be more decentralized? Do we want them uh, to be more open? Do we want them to be more community-based where people can really have a say? Or are we happy with the current state of Web 2.0, which is mainly highlighted by um, uh, surveillance capitalism where people's data uh, is being commodified and is being used by uh, corporate uh, entities in many different ways? And again, the idea of cryptocurrencies, the idea of uh, going into this uh, uh, new space, um, ask us to imagine a better world and a better web. Now, will the climate change be solved by this? Absolutely not. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, life, life goes on, and I think we still need to to take care of our uh, social media platforms and how we build them and how we operate on them in order to expect for better societies in the future as well.
6: Right now, I'm one of the old fogies who still uses Facebook. <laughs> And I, I don't worry about my my self image um, very much. I'm several decades past worrying about that. But um, I know uh, I communicate there, and sometimes have robust discussions, shall we say, with with friends, the people I know. How how am I? I don't seem to receive any hate speech, um, other than from people I know. Uh, how do people? How are people getting through? You're, with you're this? You're such a
4: nice fellow, Mike. I am such a nice <laughs> fellow.
6: No, but how is this getting through? If I'm just sitting there, I log on. I'll log on later this morning. Who's sending well, me hate, hate speech?
3: That's the thing, right? I mean, uh, uh, you you give yourself as an example, and I, I think that's great. But also, you are someone who has quite a vast media literacy, right? So when you see hate speech, for example, you are able to identify it. But imagine. Uh, in many parts of the world you have people who just have their first uh, platform experience on these kind of platforms and they don't know any better right so you will be bombarded you will uh, uh, bombarded probably is uh, is a very strong word but you will be surrounded on your news feed by information that that basically is not verified by information that might resonate with you but ultimately uh, information that could lead you, could mislead you to do some uh, improper things. Um, It's a very long discussion about algorithms and they will function different depending on your uh, past behavior online. But ultimately, uh, there was a recent example, right? Uh, Someone created an account, uh, I think it was in in India. And uh, after two days, that account uh, was bombarded by, uh, by this kind of hate speech. Because once you start to follow certain pages, once you start to like, to comment, once you start to engage, in other words, um, this kind of uh, misinformation or hate speech might bubble too much. Now, okay. fortunately, okay. I'm sure you have very good friends and they do, don't have these kind of practices online, but not everyone is sheltered from, uh, from this.
4: Okay. We'll be returning to this uh, uh, conversation soon, I'm sure. Thank you very much uh, for joining us this morning. Uh, Dr. Florin uh, Constantin-Serban, who's a a lecturer at the Department of uh, Communication Studies at uh, Hong Kong Baptist Universities. I'll just say uh, quickly, uh, I've got a a great many emails uh, which have just uh, showed up. Um, I haven't got time to read them this morning. They're all about our main topic this morning, which was about climate change and limiting emissions. I'll read them tomorrow. Uh, because we've got, obviously, the summit in Glasgow, which is going on all week, so they'll still be relevant. Um, I'll, I'll do my best to read those out tomorrow. Um, thanks very much to everybody who wrote in, and thank you to our listeners. And thank you uh, once again to you, Mike. We're, we're at the cutting edge. Wait. <laughs> OK. A uh, quick look uh, at the weather before we go to the news summary and uh, morning brew. Um, sunny periods. Top temperature today around 27 degrees, moderate to fresh uh, easterly winds. The outlook... Uh, Windier with sunny periods tomorrow, one or two showers in the middle and latter parts of the week. It's currently 25 degrees, humidity 75%. The elderly are at
6: high risk of life-threatening conditions from COVID-19. The virus can damage one's heart, lungs and brain. It may cause multiple organ failure that requires intubation in an ICU. After effects can hamper a recovery. Vaccines reduce risks of serious illness, hospitalisation and death. Experts advise that any elderly person who has had a flu shot can safely receive COVID-19 vaccines. Get vaccinated early. The
4: News Summary with Todd Harding.
5: Five people died in four separate traffic accidents across Hong Kong yesterday with a major incident at about 10pm on Bridespool Road in Po accounting for two of the deaths. It involved three private cars and a motorcyclist. A report released to coincide with the start of the climate change talks in Glasgow estimates that the years from 2015 to 2021 are on course to have been the seven hottest on record. The World Meteorological Organization says the planet is now entering uncharted territory. And Australia has allowed the resumption of international air travel without the need for quarantine for the first time in more than 18 months. Airports serving Sydney and Melbourne are now allowing fully vaccinated Australian citizens and residents to fly. I'll have more on these stories at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to
1: Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew.
5: Hello,
2: hello pal, how are you? Yeah, not too bad at all. Good morning. Even the Up to sport. Hello. You never a Facebook chat with me. Phil?
0: Good morning. it has got the Tom and Jerry
4: type violence. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zing.
1: On your radio and live online, this
2: is the Morning Brew. Good morning. Good morning to you. Welcome to Monday here on the Morning Brew with me, Phil Whelan. We're gonna swap things around just a
4: little bit today. And firstly, say hi to New York correspondent Tracy Kwan at 10.40, her usual time. As usual, she's going to bring you her news and a new book. Robbie McRobbie will be with us at 11.10 today for the all-important rugby report, so even CEOs deserve a lie-in now and again. And I'll tell you a little bit more later, because it's World Vegan Day, and I'm just hoping I can tell you a bit more about that one around 12 o'clock. It's 26 minutes, 2.10. Michael.